Hello, I'm Peter Mayland. And I'm Linda Burrows. And welcome to Trust Education Podcast. Now, as a, as a trust, as an academy trust, we're always exploring world-class ideas, including looking outside education to help improve our schools. And this week, um, we speak to Owen Eastwood about developing a high-performance culture. Owen is a, a performance coach. He's worked with many elite teams, for example, the England men's football team, um, NATO command group, the South African cricket team and Royal Ballet, just to name uh, but a few. And we first met Owen Eastwood about a year ago and we were introduced to his work around belonging, uh, which is rooted in his New Zealand upbringing. And Linda invited him to speak to us in Bolton recently. And here's our conversation with Owen Eastwood. Thank you, Owen, for um, uh, you know sitting with us. Um, I'd like to start with what is belonging and why is belonging important to a team? Well, belonging is a fundamental human need, which I think maybe we've got a bit clever and forgotten. So there's evolutionary reasons for why we need to belong to a group of people and, in short, survival. Uh, if we don't belong to a group of people, historically we would not have survived. Uh, but also now we still would not survive if we don't feel that sense of belonging. And you know, the statistics around social isolation, chronic loneliness, people's health outcomes are horrendous when they're suffering from those states. So that power of being part of a social group, social network is huge. And from a performance point of view, we want people who are not highly anxious and shutting down and distracted and de-energised. We want people who feel they belong, so are very fueled up with other types of hormones like oxytocin and dopamine. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a absolutely non-negotiable from a high performance point of view. Thank you. And a human point of view. Yeah, thank you. And, and when did that idea of belonging kind of first crystallise for you? I think, like everybody, you feel it in your reality of your life. Mm. You know, I, I know I've been into environments, including school, where maybe the teacher just looked you in the eye and smiled at you on the first day, and mm. it just had a profound effect. And I thought, this is, I feel okay. I feel quite comfortable here. Mm. I feel, yeah, I feel okay here. I think I can belong here. And then other experiences in all sorts of different groups, teams and classrooms where there's never that signal. So we, we, I think that's something that is very easy to address is that it's all about signalling. Mm. And when those signals are there, you feel profoundly different than when you do when the signals are not there. So I, I knew that all along. I also had my own story, my father dying when I was very young and him being part Maori indigenous people of New Zealand in part English and, and feeling disconnected from them that that was a sense of not belonging to two tribes who were powerful important but didn't feel I was part of it felt like an outsider to them I didn't like that feeling whatsoever mm. so I've just through being human <laughs> um, that's how I came across the idea and it was only when I became a performance coach I started to understand a bit, it a bit more deeply and certainly from a performance point of view, why it's really important. Thank you. How, um, how do you recognise within a team when people don't feel that they belong or when you don't feel that you, you belong? How, you know, how can that be recognised? Often, actually, it's because they're performing below their potential. You know, I'm a performance coach, so 
you understand the talent that you have and then you watch it perform and sometimes you just know. And now there can be, can be a lot of different reasons for why they're not performing as well as they could be. So I would actually often not, not go up to someone and ask, do you think you, you feel you belong? Because actually if you don't feel you belong, you probably won't, wouldn't be honest about that. Yeah. You'd probably hold back on it. So actually, and I got, you know, we chatted about in the talk there, Hashim Amla, the a very iconic captain of South African cricket team, first Muslim captain. Uh, you know, he became a player who averaged in tests around 50, which is, puts him up there with the legends of the game. But his first year in the team, he averaged 10 and was dropped for a year. Right. And actually, so that's a good clue. Here's someone who's very, very talented going into this and in other environments performs well, but he goes into this environment and he's performed really poorly. So that's a clue. So then you follow up and have conversations. And then with him, he shares, I, I, I don't enjoy this experience. I don't, I don't feel like I belong. I don't think people want me here. I don't feel I fit in here. So there we go. So, and that in itself was part of the thing that led to a complete culture transformation there. So nobody would feel that. And that example, I remember the very next series after we transform the culture to create a sense of belonging for everybody. The first person who then made his debut scored 100 in their first game. So we've gone from people coming in and not feeling comfortable, particularly non-white players, mm. to someone coming in and feeling they belonged immediately and scoring 100 in the first game. So mainly looking for clues. That's the way I would check. So, so you say that... Um, you know, that they would, you know, uh, recognise that they don't belong. So what happens if a person doesn't, you know, doesn't recognise that within themselves, that why they're underperforming? Is it, um, do you suggest that we, you know, we openly have these conversations about belonging and and develop that as a culture in, in our schools? Because, you know, if I... You know, if I spoke to somebody now and, you know, about their performance and, you know, you're underperforming, I'm not sure they'd come back with me with, um, you know, because I don't, I'd feel like I don't belong. So how do we get them to that point to start recognising that within themselves? Yeah, I think the word belonging is still quite a new word. It's an old word, but it's a new word. I don't think people really, it's not not common. It's not clearly understood what it means. I actually, ironically, given I wrote a book called Belonging, I don't, I don't talk about belonging on one-on-one conversations a lot. What I'm looking for is a bit more subtly. Yeah. Um, do you feel seen here? Do you feel included? I mean, we talk about inclusion a lot, yeah. but we're asking, you know, you're in a team, the team is doing something, do you feel included? Um, do you feel that you're valued? Do you think that the people around you trust you? These are the really what it's broken down to. Mm. And when people don't feel seen, mm. they don't feel they're trusted, um, they don't feel they're included, mm. then then they will lack a sense of belonging. Yeah. So we don't start necessarily with asking them whether you feel you belong or not. We try and get there around the corner. I've given examples before. You know, some good leadership to me. Um, one of the captains I worked with was 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 absolutely brilliant. But he would go around continuously, not once a year, continuously asking everybody, and this is in the most diverse team in the world, um, if you were me, what would you change about our environment? And, and then separately, what in our environment or in my leadership gets in the way of you being your best version of yourself? 
So the, this belonging isn't in either of those sentences mm. or yeah. questions, but that is sitting behind it. So we've had some amazing and, and people saying, um, you know, this is a very Anglo-Saxon way that we organise this team. Yeah. Um, we get a schedule in the morning from between 8 o'clock in the morning to, to 9 o'clock at night about exactly what we're going to do every 15 minutes. Yeah. That's not the way I was brought up. That's not my culture. I actually have a, have a stress attack when I re- get that under my hotel door every morning. Like I literally panic. I, so the captain asks, okay, so what, in your culture, how would you get the best out of yourself? And he'll say, well, my culture, our leader would just say, today we need to do this, and these are the three things that we're going to do together. And if they're done by 11 o'clock in the morning, fine. We don't have to create mm-hmm. a false timetable till 9 o'clock at night. He said that's an Anglo-Saxon way of organising your work. So they shifted the culture to, that's a good example. And when they shift the culture to be more accommodating, then he feels a stronger sense of belonging. Yeah. So they're all, But they are all very simple questions. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So a lot of actually, your experiences with elite sports, and obviously we've not had any experience of that, but I imagine they're relatively small groups of, of, of people with a very kind of clear and agreed mission. Mm-hmm. So... Are there any kind of differences um, or, ch- or further challenges with a larger organisation um, uh, where, where it's kind of more disparate in terms of what people's roles are? Yeah, it's something we didn't really talk about mm. in the conference, but it is really important, I think, in your context, is when we're part of something slightly more complicated than 15 individuals in a room, mm. then my starting point again, is influenced from Polynesian culture is these two words, tapu, uh, T-A-P-U, which means this is sacred and non-negotiable, and noa, N-O-A, which means this is where you have autonomy. And, you know, I was taught as a as a 12-year-old that the world is, and is very simple. It's just divided into two things. These are the things that are sacred, that are mandatory, that are non-negotiable, that you need to respect, and the rest of it, go be yourself and play, express yourself. So I have exactly the same approach in a slightly more complicated organisation. You know, and I've worked with Accenture, who have six hundred thousand employees, mm-hmm. and and our, so so the way we think about it is, we are not trying to create clones. Again, if you're talking about a trust, we're not trying for everyone to be the same, and we have a little prescription mm-hmm. as to what you must be. That will never in humanity has ever worked, and never will. So. That's not a good starting point. A bigger starting point is that we are a community. What are the things that are sacred to all of us? We want our kids to be safe. We want them to celebrate their own identity and individuality. We want them to grow holistically while they're with us. I mean, you would name them a lot better than I, but there are certain things that you would say are sacred. Um, some, for some those networks might be around their religion that's a sacred part of their community okay? but not for others um, so, so what we do is we define together what are the things that are sacred to being part of this community or organisation and that we all sign up for okay? and that creates its own standards and, and alignment so our purpose, our values the, the high level strategy and then what are the areas where we allow autonomy 
in self-expression. So an example would be, we might say, we, it's sacred to our, all of us that our children are safe and well, but we may allow each of the schools to bring that to life in their own way, mm. based on their own context, their own resources. So we don't necessarily have a centralised, you need to do these 10 things. Um, or we're bringing in an external provider and everybody needs to sign up to it. You don't necessarily need to do that. You could say you need to have a coherent plan which will enable them to f- be safe and well, but that's for you to do in your own indigenous way. Mm. So that, that's, how, that's a starting point is what is sacred, where is their autonomy, and when people get clarity on that, I'll tell you what, it gives a lot of energy. But when people feel they're being told what to do, it's ugly centralised, well, they've got to try and be clones of somebody, then actually it's very de-energising. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about alignment, yeah. which I think is, is perhaps close to what, what you're describing there, that there is that, that but there is, remains that kind of tension yeah. between what is standardised and, uh, and you know, what is uh, sort of free choice. Yeah. And, and in the book, you, you talk about the All Blacks, you're writing about the All Blacks and how they've kind of changed their culture. So would you see that type of, could that change over time? Or yeah. is, is that sacred and it's got to be sacred forever? No, no, no think some, some of the things that are sacred do change over mm-hmm. time. Um, I think what the answer really is when the sun is shining on you. We've, we <clears throat> spoke earlier mm-hmm. about being feeling part of this line of people from our origin story to the end of time. Mm-hmm. The sun just slowly moving down the line of people. So when the sun is shining on you, you do, as a leader, don't um, just replicate and mimic what came before. You do need to, as a proper leader, as a guardian have some reflection, which I know it's hard for these people to do that because they're so busy, but just reflect. What do we need right now? What do we want to take with us? What do we want to leave behind? Mm-hmm. What needs fixing? Um, what do we need to bring in fresh? And that can include a, a, an honest conversation about some of the things that have been sacred to this point. Are the, are, did that remain true? I think that's, that's absolutely fine. With the South African cricketing example, was we used to play a very, very risk-averse, conservative style of game, because that sort of suited the Africana mindset. And then we had an honest discussion. Uh, I talk about in the book, I think, two thousand seventeen, yeah. and we asked the young generation, very diverse um, and just different, mm-hmm. what do you think? And they said, we don't think that should be sacred to play like that. We actually would like to play a more aggressive, assertive, expressive game. So something that was previously probably regarded as sacred was moved. So a leader creates that conversation. But what we don't want to be doing is just reinventing everything every time a new head turns up. Mm. And that's unlike someone who's in professional teams, football teams. Mm. They start all over again with a new coach to create something in their um, image. That's not a coherent culture. And I think you can see that in, you know, in, in the Gareth Southgate, you know, England football team, um, quite a young squad, really, mm. um, you know, compared to what's what's come before. Mm. And I think watching them, you know, there is, you can see that there has been change. Um, there's still elements of what's come before, mm. but I think they've come with a very fresh look to to how they play um not by any means am i a a football expert but you can (laughs) see that in a team um you know that that they've clearly sat down and thought about that and i think that is what we don't do enough as school leaders 
Um, you know, I think like any job, we are constantly on that that wheel, you know, and, you know, government throwing things, you know, mm. at us. And I think, you know, as leaders, it's almost giving us ourselves permission to stop and take that time and work with the team about where are we, where mm. are we today? Mm. And we've done that as a trust. Um, and I think that's what's allowed us to be at the point that we that we are today with, you know, mm. with it. Um, it's wonderful when you know a board of trustees you know when that rather than just dumping on a teacher or even a head teacher to to be navigating all of this and you know it's it's a, it's really powerful when there's an alignment to use your word from top to bottom when you do this exercise well i i'm on the board of harlequin's rugby club yeah. i came in about a year and a half ago so i think it was um, and the team wasn't performing well and the club weren't happy and we just sort of drifted away from our identity. Um, and they asked me to come in and just try and help them you know, transform where they were um, and reconnect with their past but also create a vision of what was to come. So just having some experience doing this, I said, I'll do it, but don't put me with the coach. The board, the owner, the board... The CEO, the senior executive team, the coaching staff, the wider performance staff, and the players—we need to do it together. Mm. And to their complete credit, of course, no, of course we will. So we literally mm. all got in the same room mm. and we did this together. And that'd be one practical bit of advice: mm. yeah. is don't delegate it to somebody and then ask them to turn up and say, "This is the chapter of the story we're writing." Mm. We need to co-create it, including yeah. the kids. Yeah. Yeah. What would be the best version of this school yeah. next year? Yeah. What would be an environment where you would just thrive and be a springboard for you to have a fascinating, fulfilling life? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't we ask them that? Yeah. Thank you. Um, Owen, schools in the UK are based on command structures. Um, how is belonging, the sense of belonging, made more difficult by this? Do you think? Yeah, well... As, as the world's become more complicated, obviously we used to live in these small villages and have yeah. small bands of people, and you know, for actually, you know, for ninety percent of our history, of, yeah. in the last few centuries or the last thousand years or so, um, we have become much more complicated, yeah. more complex cities, nations, etc. So we now seem to default to having quite complicated corporate structures around things to organise them. Now, from an organising point of view, it probably makes sense. It's actually really against our nature. Yeah. And there's some great research, both contemporary and historical, which show that, you know, again, for 90, actually probably 99% of our history, we were used to being in these bands. They were not dictatorial. They weren't particularly hierarchical. They were as leaders. But actually, the leading knew everybody because they would often be in bands of 25, up to 50 people. Um, and they were there through consent. So if the leader wasn't looking after the people wasn't creating something um, sustainable, then they'd be removed. So we are used to a flattened hierarchy. Yeah. We're used to having a relationship with our leader, like they know who we are, they know our story, and we also have an expectation that they actually, on a human level, care about us. That is our evolutionary story. Yeah. We've moved so far away from it so quickly. Yeah. So, you know, in the book I talk about the example about the Scotland rugby team where we yeah. absolutely try to deconstruct the, the hierarchy mm. because the players didn't feel empowered. They, they were passive. They were being, you go and do and what you're told. Mm. And that doesn't bring the best out of people. So the hierarchy was flattened. 
player leadership group was introduced, which became an equal partner with the coaches. So together they would work out how do we train this week, how would we beat that opponent, what type of culture have we got, what are the issues in it that we need to address together. And the team, you know, went from, I think, 10th in the world under Vern Cotter when I was helping them out to, you know, 5th in the world, which is their highest ranking now. They weren't world champions, but weren't going to be. But that was a, that's a phenomenal improvement with the same group of people, but changing your structure. So we talked about it earlier. It's about energy. Mm. When yeah. people are included yeah. and you empower them yeah. and you really listen to them, they feel a completely different energy yeah. than when they're passively waiting to be told what to do and then criticised for not doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, you know, that's a good guiding principle. Mm. Yeah. How you bring it to life, you know, good luck. Yeah. Because, um, I, I, you know, there's no one easy answer to give to that. But if it is a guiding principle, then you will definitely look for opportunities mm. about, oh, do we really need to have that? Do we need to have these meetings where we're all not all in the same room? Mm. You know, that the top people aren't here, that they're going to get a report back? Well, what are we doing that? Yeah. Just get everyone together. Mm. Get around a table. Eat together while we do it. Commune. Mm. Um, why can't we do those things? It doesn't have to be just an organogram. It can just be literally the way that you do things. It can send strong signals that this is not hierarchical. Um, or if it is, it's not prohibitive. Yeah. Our next question, moving on to that, was, you know, um, could, you know, the flattening the structure that you talk about in the book, um, could that, you know... Um, work in a larger organization and i said that's what we've been used to isn't it um do you do you think that it, it could yeah yeah I, I think so i think there are some examples i i, I don't think uh this is ubiquitous mm-hmm. i think all walks of life we've become very used to yeah. hierarchy leaders having egos and driving things from a very personal point of view. Yeah. Um, the corporate world's a lot of it's quite horrendous in that respect. Yeah. Self-serving leadership. Yeah. So I think we're on a bit of a journey here. Yeah. But what I like is if when the world hears behind the scenes things, you know, whether it's Gareth Southgate introducing a player leadership group, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jordan Henderson wrote a was interviewed and he was said, you know, when he first said we're having a play leadership group and then he sat down with them and said, so how do you think we beat Germany? And they were like freaking out because even with these famous managers in their clubs, they never get asked that question. Mm-hmm. They're told this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, but actually that's been a part of the transformation of that team to become yeah. very competitive. Mm-hmm. So once people understand those stories, and again, you use your own stories and your own network with this wonderful conference you have, mm-hmm. you know, maybe next year don't invite someone like me. Just tell each other your stories of these are things which we think have made a difference. You know, here we had, we defined Tapu and Noah, and it yeah. seems to have really aligned everybody and, yeah. and given some good energy. Yeah. This is another in, in, uh, situation where we decided, do we really need that hierarchy and all that structure? Let's put it away and yeah. tell the story. And yeah. that's how I think this will grow. Yeah, yeah. We, we are having um, conversations with um, schools that are looking, you know, to join trusts, as that's the way it's kind of going at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're telling us that there's, we know this, there's very, very 
very many different types of um, you know leadership hierarchy in trusts mm. and it's something that we're certainly aware of isn't it um, you know um, that it needs to be flattened out a little bit mm. um, in order to do what um, you know as as a trust you know we we see our, ourselves going um, and it's not you talk about reinventing the skill structure don't you you know of, of that I, th- I think some trusts yeah that, that's their that. model that they try and reinvent a school level yeah. at, a, at a trust level um, which uh, I, th- I think is problematic mm. and and even the kind of st- structure in a school as you, as you said like can be can be problematic actually so to try and do that across a much larger organization mm. um, but I think it's it's the way that is maybe then perceived by the people belonging to that trust of are they serving the trust or is it tr- or are they part of the trust mm. uh, and those are kind of the, the sort of certainly the conversations Mm. Um, that we've that we've had and we've been involved with, and uh, I think we're very conscious not to allow that to happen. That actually, it's mm. about partnership and it is about collaboration. It's about being tight knit uh, in in what we do and, and building those relationships. Mm. Really, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a, to put it mildly, I'm not an expert in education, mm. I'm incredibly interested in it, and I've enjoyed today even just to be learning a little bit more about it. But you know. One way of, I suppose, being a trust and having a conversation with a school that's potentially going to join is, is saying, we see you, we love that energy, that spirit you have, um, but also your hunger to get better mm-hmm. and, and provide a better environment and better outcomes and things. Um, if you're part of us, there are certain things that are sacred, which I think we share, but we'll talk them through and mm-hmm. we'll talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want you to be yourself. Yeah. And we want you, your own crazy identity, mm. your little rituals and traditions, those things, those things that you, that you value and you want to continue, you absolutely. Mm. It's just like an individual coming to a team, you know, someone saying, we've got a clone that we want you to be, this mm. is what you need to be. Forget all that previous identity. Mm. I mean, what's that going to do to an individual? Mm. I, I'm not sure it's much different. Mm. So to me, if we're saying that, then... You really that creates a different energy, and I think over time you actually will become quite, you know, even more aligned, more mm. deeply. Mm. But it's a very important message, isn't it? Whether you're sending like this is what you need. I, I, I mentioned the talk. I haven't got a coaching qualification. Mm. One of the reasons was I was encouraged to go to an affiliated, an association to be mm. affiliated to them and to be qualified by them, whatever. And when I went to them and had a conversation, they said, "Oh, I've got amazing experience," and um, you know. I'm sure there'll be no problem at all. Just so you know, just to be part of us, um, we would like you to submit your approach with all research and science justification for it. Um, Secondly, we'll give you our framework of coaching, which we would expect you to follow. (laughs) So, as you know, a lot of my comes from ancestral ideas. So I'd have to submit that and justify when I I have people publicly saying that I help them. Um, and then I would have to follow their methodologies, and so I just walked away at that yeah. point. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. Mm. You don't in any way see me. Yeah. I don't have any sense of belonging to this. This is mm. like, and if you want to be a clone mm. and have a couple of letters beside you, mm. then join us. Mm. So I, I don't think that's what people are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's what you were saying earlier, Linda, wasn't it, about 
if somebody leaves a team or somebody joins a team, yeah. it becomes a new team actually, yeah. um, and, and sort of recognising that, and that's that's. Yeah. Um, a, you a you said that it's CST. <laughs> You know, part of, yeah, mm. it's, um, I think that has resonated with us because I don't think I've really looked at it like that before, um, mm. that, you know, because in schools, you know, they, they are very, you know, quite high mobility sometimes with staff, mm. um, you know, we kind of have periods where, you know, mm. we are a team and, you know, it's not changed, but then, you know, we, we have periods where, you know, people are coming and going, um, and it's recognising mm that you know we we stop at that point and you know we kind of regroup mm. and remind everybody mm. you know of why they've been you know um i spoke earlier about our, our induction process um and in the past you know we've gone through the interview process and i've picked up the phone you've got the job well done you answered this question really well blah blah and that's how you know they were kind mm. of invited into the school um and now, you know, they, they didn't know why, you know, what the purpose of, you know, of them was in the, you know, in the trust, why they were given the job in, in terms of, you know, what they can bring, you know, from themselves, their own identity and enhance the school and the trust. Um, and we now talk about that, at the, you know, at the, at the first day um, and we, you know, present them with a book that's, um, linked, you know, to their role or something that we find out is their passion, um, and it's a celebration of them joining something, um, and that when we talk to staff has had a huge impact, um, because you forget sometimes that you know adults coming in, mm. you know, that they are also feeling like children do on the mm. first day of school, um, you know, especially if they're entering a school as a leader, you know, they still have those those feelings. And it's made a huge impact, hasn't it? You know, um, and the staff that have been inducted that way after listening to you have made, you know, um, a flying start because they're settled mm. and they feel that they belong, but they know what they belong to because mm. um, we made That's that quite clear. Mm. And, and, you know, that will help your retention of teachers because some people will never get to that point and it becomes quite transactional. Mm. Okay, I'm going to my job. Yeah. And to the school, what else is available and looking yeah. in for va- yeah. vacancies? Mm. I think one other thing about that transition of people coming in and out is I think good leadership, you do exactly what you're doing. You also reflect on when someone leaves, how does that actually change our dynamic? <clears throat> so, as a simple example, in a sports team, you might get someone who's actually not a great talent, but a real social glue within the team. Mm. Someone who is well, has a real positive energy about them. They're always smiling, they're always bubbly. Uh, you know, they make an effort to go and check in on people. They, they're very warm with the younger players. Mm. Then you replace them with someone who's quite introverted, maybe scarred from previous experience and doesn't really want to connect because they feel that they might get rejected you know, after a year or so. So it's important to reflect on that yeah. as well. So mm. just to make sure, because what can happen, it's quite incredible really. Yeah. You can have a great team. They lose someone who's not actually in any way the most critical player, mm. and the team performance just falls away. Yeah, because something of that social dynamics shifted yeah. negatively for the team. Yeah. So you know, we really value those players who provide the glue in a mm. team. Yeah. Um, you know, and may even may even pay them a bit more than they would get in the market if we need to, because if we lose them. Yeah. We lose some cohesion and mm. yeah. 
positivity and energy. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, no, wonderful. For the conversation. <laughs> Well, and I always find Owen absolutely fascinating. Um, he comes across as such a humble and really kind of thoughtful person. Um, and since first meeting and listening to him, what, what's, what's changed in our trust? So one of the first things that we did um, was we needed to clarify, um, you know, what, what our trust was about. Um, you know, looking at both schools, history um, and the formation of the trust. Um, so we went away, did quite a lot of research because um, both schools are reaped in history and that formed a video um, that shows where both schools, um, you know, how, when, you know, where they were first established and uh, their story over the years. Um, and we show this video um, to, you know, all of our, our current staff, but any new staff that come in it forms part, uh, the first part of their induction. Um, and it just really, really clarifies for them, um, you know, in within images, um, what, you know, what history, you know, they are becoming part of. Um, and as Owen, you know, has, has spoken about um, in our conversation with him, you know, um, it's that understanding that now is their time in the sun, um, that they do need to leave, you know, their school and, you know, uh, the trust um, because we, you know, we say very, you know, we instill in all of our staff that we are the trust. There isn't a separate, you know, office or group of people anywhere. They are the trust and, you know, they are part of it. I, I think it's a really powerful uh, element, isn't it, of, of belonging, that sense of, um, you know, we, we, we're part of a lineage. We've, we've, um, the, and the history of our trust goes back over 100 years. Mm. Um, because it's about the the two schools, but as you say, our moment in the sun, um, and there's there's a, there's a legacy that we're putting down right now for those people c- coming uh, after us. Uh, I, I think it's a wonderful notion. Um, and, and what about Pepper Ha? Okay, so um, when you know after meeting um, Owen, uh, we sat down and you know thought about you know all of the the wonderful wisdom that he, he's passed on. And that notion of, um, you know, when people are introduced to a team, they become a new, you know, they become a new team. Or when there's somebody else leaves, you know, that team becomes new. Um, and often when you get it, you know, when you, when you get the phone call, you've been successful in the job, you know, um, it's great, but you're not actually told why. You're told why you didn't get the job, but not necessarily why you've got the job. Um, and this got us thinking about... Um, you know the actual individual that we were you know bringing into the you know into the trust um you know so we you know we want we wanted to find a way um that allowed us to get to know the person um you know this is you know this is what we saw in you this is why we appointed you um and this is your role here um you know and this is um you know the reasons why you know, um, we you know you know invited you to become part of the trust, um, and that moved there from you know getting deeper into the person and and taking the you know the Maori culture of Pepeha, um, where they you know they look at you know what's sacred to them. Um, we've kind of done our own twist on that, and um, we do our own version of Pepeha, 
um, which carries on from, you know, this is why we've appointed you, this is your role. But tell me a little bit more about you. You know, where are you from? Where are your ancestors from? Um, and lead into what is sacred to you. Um, and, you know, we've done this a few times now and it's absolutely beautiful to sit around a table and get to know people um, because we do spend an awful lot of time in, you know, with, with you know, in school together. Um, and it really does bring that sense of I belong to something and people have clarity of what they bring to that. So, so which teams have we done that with in the schools? So, so far we've done it with, um, so every six months um, when somebody new um, joins, um, we, um, you know, we, we start um, when they're introduced, when they, you know, when they're given the position um, and also um, they meet with their line manager and they then share their pepper how with each other. Um, so, you know, it's often repeated this and, um, you know, because lots of people need to share their pepper hat because they belong to different teams. Um, so first of all, it's line manager um, and then it's done within their team that they belong to. Um, and again, you know, people in that team are repeating this all the time. Um, but going back to what I've just said earlier about every time somebody new joins a team, they become new. So it's, you know, it's sharing um, who they are. So we've done that with uh, with those, um, you know, new starters. Um, and we've also done it as individual uh, senior leadership teams in both our schools. Um, and we're just about to do it, uh, bring both SLTs together um, and share our pepeha um, that way. Um, again, going back to we are the trust. And, and just to give a sense of, of how that works, so it's, it's round table, isn't it? Everybody listening and everybody going through this, this, the same statements around um, this is me, this is where I'm from, um, because Pepe is very much rooted in um, location. Um, and this is my family, my ancestry, um, and the sacred place, the, the places that uh, that mean a lot, a lot to me. And certainly, witnessing and listening to those kind of conversations, we've we've had some really amazing responses, haven't we, from staff? Absolutely, um, we have. Um, you know, when we've, uh, as I said, we've repeated this um, a few times with certain people um, because they belong to you know different teams. And you know, two particular stories that spring to mind there, Peter is that we've had um, a newly appointed um, deputy head who, um, you know, um, found the whole process, you know, absolutely fascinating. And that they then went away and joined um, Ancestry.com to find a little bit more about, you know, where, you know, where they came from. Um, And another beautiful story is a member of staff um, has then gone away um, and found the family that they they didn't know before um, and didn't know um, the father and um, this led them to looking again on Ancestry.com and making connections and a couple of months ago um, met the father for the first time um, which it, it's just beautiful and it, 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 just, um, it just shows how strong um, developing a sense of belonging um, within a team um, is and it's important absolutely and what what strikes me about Pepper Hat is and it really changed my thinking um, because a lot of the kind of leadership um, text that I've read before is, is really much sorry very much about focusing the team on the team's purpose um, 
And whilst that's still important, I think what Owen and this process of Pepper has taught me is that you can you can still do that, but you really need to respect the individual and that we are different and we have different experiences and do that. Um, and by doing that, um, you actually make the team uh, a lot stronger because, as you say, we, we're all people, uh, we spend a lot of time with each other and if our focus is purely on how we work together and not about us as, as people, um, then you know, we're never going to get to that really high performance, uh, which is what I, I mean, obviously, kind of coaches people too. Mm. And I think by, you know, by opening up this conversation to be, you know, more personal to them, um, then people around the table and, you know, within the teams get to see different personalities, um, which makes the team, you know, work that little bit stronger. Um and, you know, thinking again what, you know, what Owen um, has taught us with his, you know, um, high-performing teams that he's worked with, that they eat together. Um, so, again, part of our induction um, process is after the, uh, the six months um, induction uh, period. Um, we, Peter and I, um, take um, the, new, uh, the new staff out for dinner. Um, and once again, our pepper high shared around the table um, and you know you think about currently in our in our you know in in the trust there's two schools, and if we didn't do something like this, never never will the two meet. Um, but by doing you know we eat together process, um, staff from the two schools do get to come together, and again share their papaha. So there's there's you know cross site getting to know each other, uh, which which is really strong, and I think you can agree, Peter, Julian. Um, you know the meals that we've had so far we've done it twice now um, the stories that have come out and that you know you see people over the you know over the period of the meal um, become to relax with each other um, and once they've shared their papaha they then you know are openly talking about tell me about your role and I'm not sure that necessarily would have happened if we wouldn't if we didn't have you know introduced um, this part of let's eat together um, but some of the stories that have been shared have, you know, have been been beautiful. And I just feel really honoured to have been sat there to to hear them. Absolutely, and I think yeah, um, bringing all those staff who've joined in a similar period together, who again may not be working in teams together, but have that that common thing that they've, they've all joined the trust pretty much at the same time. Um, that really helps them to get uh, that kind of sense of uh, others in the in the trust who are at the same uh, points as they are, um, and. and Again, just get to know uh, more more people within the trust rather than just that uh, that team that they are directly working with. And I'm, I'm struck now about uh, a quote uh, I've often heard from uh, from leaders that say it's something along the lines of um, "Show me show me your budget and uh, I'll tell you and I'll I'll tell you what what you really value." Um, so all all of this stuff is is wonderful and it has made uh, an impact as you said. But what what changes? Has it driven around some of maybe our, 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 our other structures and our policies um, you know, to, to really embed um, belonging um, into the trust? Okay, yeah, um, it's impacted on our appraisal um, uh, policy. Um, we we know of title, you know, title, given that the title of Pock Pock, um, which is a Catalan phrase and it means little steps. Um, and again, you know. After thinking about you know how we were going to use Owen's work um, for our induction, it then naturally led into appraisals, 
Um, you know, we, we'd started this, you know, opening up of conversations with people. And alongside, you know, alongside this, we were also in, um, moving into um, coaching training with some of our senior leaders. So we were, you know, at that edge of, um, you know, rather um, staff, you know, having, you know, three targets, you know, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a you know, product led um, but we were they were there also being trained in coaching and we felt that the two weren't marrying so we looked at our, our appraisal policy and uh, worked you know worked with um, with with some staff about how best that would work now and we've gone down the line of very much is a coaching um, process now where it's about each individual member um, of, of the team um, in, you know in schools, becoming the very best that they can be. So then really focusing on what they need to do, what process they need to go for. And for example, with a teacher, you know, often, you know, it would be, you know, product led. So, you know, you need to, um, you know, get get 90% expected or, you know, something statistical like that. And we haven't done that for many years, but very much, you know, it led to, you know, it was very much, um, you know, an end product. But, you know, after conversations, we felt that, you know, unless the process changed and, you know, CPD was put in place, but it came very much from them. Um, and also, the, you know, was knowing that person a little bit more um, allowed them to, it always gave them the green flag to become more open with us. You tell you tell me what you would like to get better at. Obviously, you know through coaching, you know it, it's a it's a team effort. But they, you know, our, our staff have really welcomed this. Um, so now they identify, um, you know, four areas that they would like to you know to work on, and they decide you know which one is um, you know is the most important for them at the time. Um, and then you know they you know with the with the mentor they and their coach they go through um, in process of what that looks like. Um, and going back to Owen's work again, you know, the language that we're using in appraisals, um, the appraiser starts with um, so Peter, um, you know you said that you um, would like um, to get better at scaffolding um, when you're teaching science. What would that look like if it was a hundred percent? And no one uses that, um, you know, that work with sports people, um, and it's going back. So you know, after a couple of months, you know, when the the appraiser and the appraiser get together, you know, the discussion around. So you said that this is what it would look like at a hundred percent. Where are you now? Where are you now? Um, are you at a hundred percent, or are you at eighty? And if you are at eighty. What else do you need to do? So, you know, it's it's very much a conversation with the person. Um, and again, pock a pock, you know, little steps. It's not about rushing through. Um, and that leads to curriculum um, research that's, you know, that's coming out. It's not about racing through the curriculum. It's not about racing through appraisals. It's about taking our time and doing what's right for our pupils. Absolutely, and what what I love again, and think is is, is different. Um, certainly, from any appraisal process I've been involved in uh, previously, is that the time um, that we give to these uh, objectives uh, is down again. It's down to the individual, isn't it? It's yeah. agreed with with their uh, with their line manager and their coach, 
Um, so some objectives, they may consider actually to, to really na- kind of nail this and actually get to 100% in terms of confidence and, and execution, it might take a couple of months. Um, in some things, it might take two years. Uh, so actually really kind of flexible uh, around around the time frame. And I think the other thing, um, and again, it's, it's, it's following our, uh, our evidence base and our research um, is, is the removal of performance-related pay that went hand-in-hand with that, isn't it? Because, um, again, we just wanted to take away that sense of jeopardy, uh, which is never, I don't think, any, any, our, certainly our intention, and without anybody's intention, uh, but certainly it was it was felt by staff, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. You know, both, both you and I have been, um, you know, teachers, you know, for many, many years and gone through, you know, many appraisals um and often you know um speaking to the staff and and i've you know found now that they're more honest about you know the the, the previous process um that targets um you know they were thinking about targets um that you know that they uh, would like to work on but in the back of the mind is money mm. because you know appraisals you know were previously linked to you know performance related pay um, and having removed that, it's almost like a weight being lifted from them that they've been given the green light to really focus on their practice. Um, and, you know, speaking to a you know a member of staff at Chelney Road um, Primary, um, they, you know, came came to me, you know, not long after uh, they'd gone through the first, you know, cycle of the, the appraisal process. And they were so joyous about it, you know, it was almost like that hallelujah moment. Um, suddenly, you know, I'm being seen for the teacher. Um, and, you know, I can think about, you know, how, what do I really need and how can I get there? Um, and linking that to the, you know, to the walkthroughs work that, we've in, that we're introducing in, in, you know, in the trust, um, you know, giving people uh, the resources to use uh, consistently um you know within the schools um that is that's really you know really supported them but yes peter removing you know performance related pay i think you know links hand in hand with this we we see you as as individuals you know um and again linking that to our you know professional development um you know as a trust we our professional development is based around inside out um and it's about making those people in the trust whatever their role is the very best that they can be um, and it, it's not about um, you know targets being given to you it, it's about you know what do you need to get better um, which again is you know world-class professional development um, yeah. well I can, I can feel a whole other podcast coming on but um, thank you some really inspirational stories there and um, I think particularly the impacts that you've talked about that's um, having on, on the staff here and that kind of greater sense of belonging. And thank you for uh, arranging uh, the conversation uh, with Owen. Again, he's somebody I could listen to um, all day, every day. So thank you very much, Linda. Thank you.